Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. This was a very exciting program for the Albany Symphony and me to play and to conduct because it was our opening, the opening of our 2008-2009 season, and it's a season sort of subtitled Voyages of Exploration because, of course, in the year 2009, we'll celebrate the quadricentennial, the 400th anniversary of Henry Hudson's historic journey up the Hudson River. And we'll also be celebrating at the Albany Symphony all during the season this idea of explorations, of humankind's need to go out and discover unknown lands and find incredible new adventures and places. And so we've commissioned a number of pieces to celebrate that notion of humankind as musical as well as geographical explorers. So on the program, we have two works that involve the sea and exploration and also two works that involve something more to do with spiritual or musical exploration. So we began with a work of that greatest of all musical explorers, Ludwig van Beethoven. It's the overture uh, to his incidental music to the play Egmont by Faust. The play concerns a, a count, in uh, a Flemish count in the 16th century who led a fight for, for freedom of his people. The story actually ends very sadly with Count Egmont dying and his, his love interest, his beloved Klerchen, dying as well. But Beethoven wrote some of his most inspired incidental music to this uh, play. And he wrote it in the years 1809-1810, uh, about exactly the time that our second composer, Felix Mendelssohn, was being born, uh, just by, by coincidence. But the Egmont Overture is one of Beethoven's most compact and dramatic works. Uh, for my money, a great way to start a season and to start a concert. Uh, it lasts only about seven minutes, and yet it has a... a dramatic, slow introduction, uh, a beautiful, expressive allegro, fast section in the middle, and a triumphant ending, which actually will be the, the very ending music of all the incidental music uh, when it's played with the with the dramatic piece as well, with, with Faust's uh, play. Uh, there's this ending little symphony of victory, it's called, and the little bit of the symphony of victory is what, what is featured at the very end of the overture as well. So a very dark, brooding overture in the beginning, in the middle, but ending in the triumph of freedom over adversity with the sacrifice of Count Egmont's life. This is Beethoven's Overture to Egmont, played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Beethoven's Egmont Overture, which opened our concert, played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. It was followed by an overture of a very different sort, an overture from some years later by Felix Mendelssohn, this overture is called Calm Sea and Prosperous Voyage, and it does, in essence, take us from the dramatic world of Beethoven to the world of the sea, which will uh, be the preoccupation of the third and final work on our first half. Mendelssohn fashioned this overture, again based on, on poetry of Goethe, a set of two little poems about the sea, 
The first one, Calm Sea, which depicts the, the beautiful but occasionally menacing sense of the calm sea as the sea captain looks out over the still waters. And the second part, Prosperous Voyage, a more joyous poem about the excitement of, of adventuring and voyaging out upon the sea, as well as arriving at one's port, finally. And that's all very much depicted in this overture, a very evocative, beautiful Mendelssohn overture, Mendelssohnian style, fresh, and you can feel the sea. Once the, the prosperous voyage gets going, you can actually feel the white caps, as far as I'm concerned, in the sway and the, in the, the splashes of orchestral color that he utilizes. So, as you would expect, the introduction is slow and beautiful, and that's followed by this very joyful ocean voyage, and again culminating, like the Beethoven, in a triumphant ending. Uh, in this case, I assume it's the arrival on shore, because you actually hear three trumpets, an unusual number of trumpets, usually two in Mendelssohn's orchestra, but three trumpets in canon, one following the other, uh, announcing the successful arrival of the voyage. So here now, Mendelssohn's Overture, Calm Sea and Prosperous Voyage, the second work on our concert featuring the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes Podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Mendelssohn's Overture, Calm Sea and Prosperous Voyage, played by the Albany Symphony. Uh, the last work on our program is the work that that work is leading up to. It's a world premiere composition and a very exciting one. Uh, I commissioned one of my favorite Portuguese, or one of my favorite European composers, my absolute favorite Portuguese composer, Luís Tinoco, a young Portuguese composer born in 1969. It turns out on the very day that the Americans landed on the moon. So an, a child who was born under the smiling star of exploration. Luís is a brilliant young Portuguese composer uh, whose works I have done a great number of times both in America and in Europe, in Portugal. Uh, and I asked him, as someone from the old world and from this nation, from Portugal, this nation of of great explorers, arguably the greatest exploring nature of all in that era when Spain and Portugal and, and the Dutch all sort of ruled the seas and went off in search of new lands and new worlds, uh, I asked Luis to write a piece that somehow evoked that era of the great explorations, the 1600s and even a little earlier, when these sailors set out into the great unknown, having no idea of what they might find. And Luis uh, fashioned a, a very evocative and beautiful tone poem, essentially, with singer, with soprano and orchestra, uh, utilizing texts which he discovered by both Walt Whitman from Leaves of Grass, A Passage to India is the name of the poem, uh, with a poem by Portugal's, one of Portugal's most celebrated 20th century poets, Fernão Pessoa, who wrote a piece, Ode Maritima, a Maritime Ode, which really talks about many of the same things that Whitman does in his poem, having to do with the vastness of the sea, of the challenges of heading off into unknown lands over the, the waters. Uh, and so uh, what Luis did was he, he sort of combined texts in English of the Whitman with uh, text in Portuguese by Pessoa uh, to create this incredible evocation of voyages and of the challenges of voyages and of the unknowable nature of the sea and of discovery. And he fashioned it all for his very favorite soprano, a, an absolutely radiant artist named Ana Quintanche, uh, who had just been the star of his opera, of Luis's opera, which was premiered in Lisbon last year. It's an opera that he collaborated on with uh, Terry Jones of Monty Python fame, uh, based on a story by Terry Jones called Evil Machines. And I think Anna was such an extraordinary artist in the performances of Luis's opera that when he began to work on this piece, he immediately thought of her as being the 
the speaker, the singer in this work. So you'll notice that the text goes back and forth between the English of Whitman uh, and the Portuguese of Pessoa, and also that there's incredibly uh, beautiful and radiant writing for orchestra as he depicts the sea in this new work. The title, From the Depth of Distance, is taken from the poem by Pessoa. So here now the world premiere of Luis Tinoco's new work for soprano and orchestra, From the Depth of Distance. The soprano is Anna Quintage, and the orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes Podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes Podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. The final work on the Albany Symphony's opening concert of the season, uh, the work which occupies the entire second half of the program, is one of the most monumental concerti ever written for piano and orchestra. Uh, It was written by a young composer, by Johannes Brahms, in the mid-1850s, and it was a a work like so many of Brahms' early and middle works. It was a work of great struggle. Uh, As you may remember, Brahms uh, was a completely unknown 20-ish composer-pianist in Hamburg when the brilliant violinist Josef Joachim, sort of one of the great figures of the 19th century in the world of violin playing, essentially discovered him. He came through Hamburg and heard him play and got him to accompany him, and they became close, close friends. And Joachim discovered him, essentially, and was so excited by these monumental sonatas that Brahms had been writing for himself on the piano that Joachim took Brahms, and he took him basically to meet Robert and Clara Schumann and introduced him, essentially, to the entire German music world of the, of the time. But this meeting with Robert and Clara was extremely significant in Brahms's life and development because Schumann, Robert Schumann, who was a, a major figure at the time, time, really immediately realized what a a profound and unique and distinctive genius Brahms was. And he wrote a a very influential uh, article in in Schumann's own journal, very celebrated journal, the Neue Zeitschrift für Musik, the new journal for music, in which he essentially proclaimed the 21-year-old Brahms an absolute genius. And he said, hats off, gentlemen, a genius, and went on to say that, you know, this would be the next great figure in all of music. Well, on the one hand, that's a great endorsement for a 20-ish composer. On the other hand, it's quite a tough endorsement to live up to. And so Brahms was, I think, rather spooked by the whole thing, rather alarmed by having to suddenly be the greatest, next greatest composer of the world. And so this piano concerto uh, had a very tortured evolution. Brahms had written it initially as a two-piano sonata and then felt it wasn't quite right and began to think that maybe it should be a symphony. He wasn't sure. And eventually he evolved this idea that it should be a piano concerto. Uh, And it is, in fact, this extremely distended work uh, with lots more thematic material than Brahms's later, more concise works. Uh, It lasts, in most performances, about 45 minutes, actually a little longer in our performance this evening because we have such an expressive pianist that he he took some extra time in the slow movement that's quite dramatic. Uh, I'll speak about that in a moment. But uh, the work was in three movements, is in three movements, a fast but not overly fast dramatic first movement, an extremely uh, reflective second movement, which I must say is believed to be largely inspired Uh, largely an homage to Robert Schumann. During the early genesis of this piece, Robert Schumann had a major nervous breakdown, attempted suicide, and was institutionalized and spent the last couple of years of his life in an institution. Clara never saw him, was never allowed to see him after uh, his his nervous breakdown and and, uh, his attempted suicide, and he eventually died. And it was just at this period that Brahms set set down to write the second movement, which really sounds very much like a requiem. And actually, Brahms even 
inscribed part of the Requiem text, Blessed is he who walks in the, the, the path of the Lord, uh, in the beginning of the melody of the slow movement. So it's very much thought that the slow movement of this concerto is a, a, an homage, a, in essence, a wordless requiem in memory of Robert Schumann, the last movement of a very muscular, dramatic piece, with, owing a great deal to one of Brahms's favorite heroes, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. The work is played by the towering virtuoso and the brilliant American pianist Peter Serkin. It's the very first time that the orchestra and I had the great honor and privilege of playing with Mr. Serkin. He's a deep, probing artist who really, one has the feeling when one's performing with him, I I think also when one's listening to him, that he's really inventing the music as it goes. He gets so deep inside the the composer's mind that it's a, a very revelatory experience to work with him. So, Peter Serkin playing Brahms's first piano concerto, accompanied by the Albany Symphony with me, David Allen Miller, conducting. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live on WMHT-FM, your classical companion.